Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. Dolphins and welcome into the Wednesday, February the 27th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, some news on potential cuts coming down. We'll react to the impending release of a couple of veterans. I rethink my position on Juwan James. Plus, we'll rank the needs of the 2019 Miami Dolphins, as well as the units from strongest to weakest on this roster. We've got the prospect of the day. And last, I'll explain why the Dolphins offseason is going to be a snooze fest, but also why that's a good thing. All of that and much, much more. But first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast from. That's how the podcast grows and get out to more Dolphins. So please tell a friend about the podcast so we can keep doing this thing for you guys. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter at WingfulNFL. Follow the show at LockedOnFins and check out LockedOnDolphins.com. We have daily written content for you guys and I promise you will not find better more comprehensive analysis, commentary, whatever it is on this football team, LockedOnDolphins.com is your number one source. And last but not least, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NBA podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. As I want to do, I have tons I want to talk about on the podcast. Let's go ahead and jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins Finally, some news to talk about on the podcast today. It's not official. It's a rumor, but nonetheless, some news as the Dolphins reportedly via profootballtalk.com will release both Josh Sitton and Robert Quinn. And I think Robert Quinn was a pretty obvious one given the fact that he was due to make 13 million bucks for limited production and what he gave you back in 2018. I thought he had a nice season. He's a good player, but at that rate, at that position, what the Dolphins want at that position now going forward, it made no sense to keep him on the football team. And Josh Sitton, to me, was kind of one of those fringe guys that could tell you about the direction of this franchise going forward, and it sounds like they've chosen to kind of take a step back and go for that rebuild because Josh Sitton will not be in the plans. And as we'll rank him here in just a minute, the interior offensive line of this Dolphins team, even with Josh Sitton, is a huge, huge need. And now they open up another hole to free themselves up about $7 bucks in cap space to go ahead and spend this year or to roll forward. So definitely interesting decisions there on the Dolphins' part. And it also brings me back to a revised opinion I have on Dolphins right tackle Jawan James. You guys know that I've been a proponent of Jawan James for quite a while now, and I still do believe that he's one of the five, six, maybe seven or eighth best right tackles in the NFL, not tackles in general, but just off that right side, Jawan James is capable of shutting down guys like Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram, Khalil Mack, even against the Bears this year before he's flipped over to the left side to battle Laramie Tunzel and got shut out there also. He has the ability to do that. He's good in the running game for the most part, but it's those stretches of play where it's just an absolute slump and he can't get anything going. The stretches where he gets himself benched for bad pass protection, the fact that he has injuries piling up every other year, it seems. I think what the Dolphins will do, and I'm not sure I agree with this. I kind of do, I kind of don't, but I think 
I believe the Dolphins will move on from Jawan James, and we'll cover that more in the off-season preview piece, which will come out next week for you guys, where I've kind of been gathering information the last couple of weeks via the State of the Roster series, via the column up on LockedOnDolphins.com right now, talking about the expectation for this off-season to be a boring one. All these resources have gathered information for me to give you an ideal look at what the Dolphins might do in free agency and the draft. So keep an eye out for that on the Locked On Dolphins podcast here, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. But real quick, I want to rank the team needs in order of what I find to be most important heading into the offseason. And I do think this is going to be a two-year approach, as in the Dolphins won't find themselves in a position like they've gotten with Mike Tannenbaum, which he will be a very prominent figure in segment number two of the podcast here. But they're not going to have that urgent need to plug holes with Band-Aid types of players just so they can say to themselves, okay, we do not have a hole at left guard, at least for the time being, no matter what it does to your future salary considerations. So with a two-year approach in mind, I have identified five positions that I think are the Dolphins' top needs to get taken care of over the course of the next two seasons. And number one, it's very freaking obvious, the quarterback. If you don't have a quarterback in this league, you're not going to compete. I even talked about it on Twitter, how the Dolphins have really had three good seasons out of their quarterbacks dating back to Dan Marino. And really, frankly, you could lump the end of Marino's career into this segment of bad quarterback seasons. So you go back to the late 90s, the Dolphins have only had three good years of quarterback play. We all know about 2008 when Chad Pennington was the runner-up for the MVP award. I think that was a very good season, not a great one, but a very good quarterback season from Pennington. Ryan Tannehill, to me, had good seasons in 2014 and 2016. His rookie year was not very good. I didn't think 2013 was very good. 2015 was a dip after a good year in 14. 16 might have been his best year. And then 17 injured and 18, he didn't play well at all and had the injuries added to that list. And we've seen the results of that. The Dolphins, despite having some good defenses over that stretch, obviously the early 2000s, some good running backs, Ronnie and Ricky, some decent pass catchers, I guess, and Chris Chambers, Randy McMichael, all the things they've had on this roster, yet they've never been a good team because they never had a good quarterback. And the one year they did, the two years out of the three they did, they were playoff teams in 2016 and 2008. So quarterback, number one need, far and away. The number two need for me is the second cornerback on the roster because right now you're looking at Cordray Tankersley, Torrey McTire, Jalen Davis, Cornell Armstrong, whatever it might be. If you run out there with one of those guys, Xavier Howard's irrelevant, Bobby McCain's irrelevant, Mika Fitzpatrick is irrelevant because they're going to put the rabbit hat on that cornerback and just go after him the way the Bears did Torrey McTire when he got roasted in that Bears game back in week six of 2018. So cornerback number two is also the number two lead need on this list. Number three, interior offensive line. I talked about how the Dolphins are going to cut Josh Sitton and really frankly to me, That gives them needs across the board on the interior. Left guard, center, most importantly to me, center, and right guard. Because I think Jesse Davis, going back to the Juwan James approach, he might have a chance to kick outside and play right tackle for this team and really save them some money that way going forward and moving him to a more premier position where he didn't have a good year this year, but he does have some tackle experience. So interior offensive line, number three. Number four, the middle of the field, center field safety, a rangy guy that can go all over the place and make plays. You might say, Travis, this is Minka Fitzpatrick in a nutshell. I agree to some extent, 
but I want to use Minka more as a matchup piece and utilize his skill set as a cover guy down on the ball and then acquire a player that can do more as far as being rangy on the back end like I've talked about in the draft, whether it's Chauncey Gardner-Johnson out of Florida, Nasir Adderley out of Delaware, whatever it is, I think that's going to be a focal point to be able to use the rest of the guys on these defense to operate in the scheme the way you want them to. So number four need, middle of the field, center field safety. And number five, I put defensive end on here, although I don't believe it's a big priority on this particular scheme and this defense, but the Dolphins are pretty barren at the position beyond Tank Carradine. I guess if you want to call Charles Harris one of these guys, Jonathan Woodard, there's some nice depth and rotational guys there, but there's not a clear-cut number one starter or even maybe even number two starter at this position, depending on where you put Vincent Taylor in the rotation. So quarterback, cornerback number two, interior offensive line, middle of the field safety, defensive end, and we're going to talk about next on the podcast here how the Dolphins can address some of those needs and try to set the expectations for what you guys can expect going into the offseason as we are getting closer and closer to free agency and the draft right behind it here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. Segment number two on a Wednesday on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. We are brought to you by the Locked On Podcast Network here. And we are also brought to you by a snow day as once again, school for me out here at Washington State University has been canceled on this Tuesday as I record the podcast, which is good for all Dolphins fans because all that means is I get to go upstairs into the lab and look at this football team and give you guys more content on the website as well as on the podcast here. And on my drive home late last night, once I discovered that school would be canceled on Tuesday morning, I pulled up the Around the NFL podcast looking over the top 101 free agents available in the NFL this year. And just listening to those guys talk about some of the matches and the pieces and the money that could be spent. And going back to my column from Sunday talking about the Patriots approach to the compensatory pick process, to trading down on draft day, to using player for player trades, and just avoiding free agency basically in general to improve your football team. I came to this conclusion that really free agency is, we've always kind of known this for the most part, especially at the top of the market and even at the middle of the market as guys tend to get priced up higher than their true value is. And that's how the Dolphins wind up in this position where they have to basically cut cap and clear the decks to get themselves back into position to be competitive. And I thought about all these things kind of coming into one piece. And I wrote an article for you guys up on LockedOnDolphins.com. And to me, I did some research on it. It was very informative to me. I put some ideas out there, kind of trying to ease the gap or bridge the gap, if you will, between the Dolphins going into this offseason with the idea of a tank compared to possibly trying to be competitive. And I don't think either of those two descriptions would be accurate for what they want to do heading into the new season. So now I want to go over this article with you guys. Again, up on LockedOnDolphins.com. It's called Dolphins' New Approach to the Offseason. Boring, because that's what we can expect. A boring offseason as far as the big name splashes, as far as the Dolphins' logo ticking across the bottom of the NFL ticker as they make a big acquisition. No more Indomitian Suze, no more Mike Wallace, no more Brandon Albert, no more Philip Wheeler and Danell Ellerby swapped in for Kevin Burnett and Carlos Dansby. The big splashes, the Dolphins dominating the headlines is going to be a thing of old. And even still, we're going to see fans complain about this, which is the ultimate display of irony as the Dolphins continue to stack up 
off-season trophies and are bereft of actual hardware in the real trophy case where it matters come September through January. So the Dolphins no longer going to try to win the off-season. That was a Mike Tannenbaum thing. And what we're seeing now is the result of Chris Greer, Brian Flores, Stephen Ross, whoever you want to associate with this job. Their responsibility is simply to clean up this mess or to deal with the 7-2 offsuit they were dealt by Mike Tannenbaum, because what Mike Tannenbaum did, as we discussed in the previous segment, was try to patch holes and didn't have any regard for what those particular moves or the money spent or the acquisitions meant to the future of the football team. It's reckless abandon. He did it with the New York Jets. He just did it to the Miami Dolphins, and I imagine he will not get a chance to do it to another team. So here are Flores, Greer, Stephen Ross, Marvin Allen, Reggie McKenzie, Adam Ingroff, all these guys are going to have to contribute to this rebuild, to this reshuffle. And I don't want to call it a tank because all they're going to do is put themselves in a position to get all that bad money off the books and try to find ways to finagle themselves into more draft picks and getting more players for cheap on the roster. Now, whether that comes via manipulating the compensatory draft process or trading down on draft day, they're going to find a way to usher out these big, gaudy contracts for subpar players and bring in guys that can play above their value on cheap contracts. But nonetheless, the Dolphins, over the course of the next two seasons, have identified two ideas that they're going to have to adhere to and address over the next two years. Number one, we know what this is, identifying and acquiring the quarterback of the future. It could be this year, it could be last year, but nonetheless, whatever happens to this Dolphins team, everything will get tied back to the quarterback they choose and how well he performs. Number two, overturning the roster and appropriate roster allocation, like cutting a Robert Quinn because it might not make your team better in the interim, but freeing up that 13 million bucks allows the accounting department to pay off those past debts and possibly roll money forward to a time when the Dolphins can compete. We're looking at guys like Kiko Alonso, TJ McDonald, and Andre Branch. In that order, those players are due to make $7.9 million, $5 million, and $7 million in 2019. That is just bad value for three guys that really are, at this point of their careers, at best, rotational guys. You can definitely say that of Andre Branch. You can most likely say that about Kiko Alonso, and you can probably say it about TJ McDonald. They're going to have to find a way to get those guys off the roster, which might make your team worse in the interim as you have to fill their absence with players not very well known, maybe undrafted free agents, whatever it might be. Getting that contract off the books is going to hurt in the interim, but it makes you better for the long run. And that's where this idea of a quote-unquote tank comes into mind. That's not tanking. That's just taking the measures to repair this roster because of the hand they were dealt from the previous regime. So it's not a tank. It's a reset, a recharge, and re-clearing the decks. Now, you guys have heard me talk about manipulating the compensatory draft pick process the last couple of days in the podcast here, something the Patriots have done so well over the course of Bill Belichick's tenure there up in Foxborough. And you go back to the last four years when Mike Tannenbaum was in charge, four seasons worth of comp picks accumulated. Mike Tannenbaum got the Dolphins three comp picks over those four years. The Patriots comparatively acquired 11 of them during that time. And the way you do that is the way you approach free agency. For instance, the Dolphins traded Jarvis Landry for a fourth-round draft pick, and I believe there was a swap of draft picks later on. Whatever that case was, they traded him, which means he does not fall into the formula 
for comp picks. Now, if they had let him walk and he signed a $16 million annual contract with the Browns or whoever else, that would have brought back third round comp pick compensation. But then again, the signings of Albert Wilson and Danny Amendola would have balanced that out and left the Dolphins without a comp pick in that process. So that's kind of where Mike Tannenbaum doesn't have the foresight to see things going forward and to scour certain parts of the roster building acquisition period to make this more friendly to your football team. For instance, taking players that were cut from previous teams, their contracts were terminated. They did not expire and get them to free agency. If you do it that way and you sign those players, your comp pick formula is not jeopardized at all because those players don't count against the formula. And that, to me, really, is where the rubber meets the road with the previous approach to the new approach. I imagine this new regime will be more aligned to what the Patriots did under Belichick and trying to find their way into more draft picks and spending fewer dollars on guys that basically you're paying more than what you get. It's like it's like going to McDonald's and paying 12 bucks for a Big Mac. I mean, maybe you're hungry and you want that Big Mac, but it still wasn't worth $12. And so by going back to Tannenbaum's 2018 offseason, they kind of had the right idea in mind when it came to guys like Josh Sitton or like Robert Quinn because neither of them goes against the comp pick formula and you can possibly squeeze them in to get you contributions for a relatively affordable salary. Now, Robert Quinn was not that. Josh Sitton, I thought, was that to an extent, although you would argue that a $6 million offensive lineman is not that great considering there are plenty of guys in the league starting on less than $1 million per year salaries. But the Dolphins had the right idea. It just didn't work out. So what you're going to want to look at for the Dolphins' moves heading forward as players they might be interested in acquiring is take a look at the NFL transaction wire and the players that have recently been cut by their teams. I have a list of three guys here we can talk about that Miami could be interested in. And this list will expand and grow exponentially in the coming weeks as we get close to the new league year. But right now on February the 27th, a Wednesday, we're looking at a safety like Glover Quinn. He was cut by the Lions. He's on the wrong side of 30, and he does want to be respected, he says, as far as his contract goes, which I suppose could be a decently sized contract, maybe a two or three year deal worth a little bit of money as far as the safety market goes. But that's something the Dolphins can afford to do to repair this position of the roster that needs help and also puts a guy that's an absolute square peg into a square hole scheme fit, the ideal fit for a plug-and-play guy. Maybe he gives you one good year this year, and you can go into 2020 having a safety in your back pocket on a cheap contract that did not cost you in the comp pick formula. So Glover Quinn, he makes a lot of sense that way. Defensive end Vinnie Curry, he's 280 pounds. He can play five technique. He can kick outside and play seven technique. Dolphins need players like that on this defense, and he will not count towards the comp formula either. And after a big contract and felled season in Tampa Bay, maybe you get him on a discount. And the third player I have listed here, again, guys, this list is not beautifully attractive. Safety Chris Margos, he was cut by the Eagles. He played for the Seahawks before that. And with the Niners prior to that, he played his college ball under Brett Bielema at Wisconsin. And if you'll recall, Bielema was attached to Flores for a potential position on this Dolphin staff. So players like that on the cut list is who you should be keeping an eye on. And then finally, the last data point of this article up on LockedOnDolphins.com here, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, the article titled Dolphins' New Approach to the Offseason, Boring. It's going to be boring because of stuff like this, because of guys like Chris Margos and Glover Quinn and Vinnie Curry being your most attractive free agents, but also because... 
the undrafted free agent has a position in the NFL. It's never pretty. It's never fun to talk about. You assume these guys are going to be camp bodies, and most of them will be. Granted, there are plenty of guys that get signed that do not make it. But via this graph I found on catscratchreader.com by writer Mick Smiley, the undrafted free agents, as far as being a quote-unquote regular contributor, which he classifies as playing 40% or more of the offense or defense's snaps, the undrafted free agent is 133 of those guys, which is the second highest in the league behind only first-round draft picks at 209. The second round, for instance, has 124 players. So even second-round draft picks don't have the great frequency in the NFL that undrafted guys do. So that's the idea of this segment, the idea of that column. Look for the Dolphins to sign guys that had been cut by teams previously and to be very active in undrafted free agency and possibly trading down to acquire more picks to overturn this roster with young cheap talent and get rid of all these lofty, gaudy, terrible contracts put there by Mike Tannenbaum. All right, that was a long segment, but a great segment. Next on the podcast, I'm going to rank the units on this team from best to worst, and then we're going to have the prospect of the day, and we'll call it a day here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. We talked about the needs of this football team heading into the 2019 offseason, but what about the strengths on the roster they already have? Because this team, by and large, by all national media outlets, even by most of the fan base, considers this team to be at least a couple of years away and the favorite to be the top team picking in the 2020 draft class. But I want to go over some of the things we can be excited about on this roster and work our way down towards the biggest need at quarterback on this roster. So ranking the positional units on this team, number one, the wide receivers for me are the best because Albert Wilson was fringing on becoming a star receiver, not just a nice story, but a guy that was dominating the league in terms of taking the ball after the catch, scoring long touchdowns, the explosive playmaker. He can carry the ball as a running back. He's so well built below the waist that he can withhold a carry load and a receiving load. The guy is just a stud. I think the world of Jakeem Grant, you guys all know that. The same goes of Kenny Stills. I think this group can be very good going forward, and it's the best group on the team right now. Number two, and how weird is this to say, linebackers. The Dolphins' linebackers are really good. Jerome Baker and Raquan McMillan, I've talked a lot about their fits in the scheme. I think they make this team very good going forward at that position. But I also think Chase Allen has a chance to get some serious work at linebacker and be a contributor on the team as early as 2019. Number three, the running backs, Kenyon Drake, Kalen Balage. I think the two of them offer a great skill set as far as pass catchers, pass protection, and running the football a lot of speed there to burn, and there's some growth to be had, but I think both those guys can take a big step in this next coming season. Defensive tackle number four, Devon Godshaw is a very solid starter inside. Vincent Taylor, I think, has a huge upside and also is already a productive player, albeit he ended the season on injured reserve, but I think both those guys together make for a good group. The depth beyond them is pretty wanting. The next position group I have is cornerback. Xavier Howard's the best player on the team. Bobby McCain had a rough year, but I still think the world of him. 
Minka Fitzpatrick is not a cornerback, and the reason it's below running back and defensive tackle is because that number two corner job is such a glaring need right now that I can't put it higher than this because you can pick on one cornerback time and time and time again on offense. Number six, the safeties. I don't think Rashad Jones is a fit here. I think McDonald gets cut eventually, and Minka Fitzpatrick is the one holding this group up because beyond those three guys, there's nothing there, and it's basically just Minka for me going forward with Rashad Jones for another year or two on the roster. Ahead to number seven, the offensive line. And just like the cornerbacks with Xavier Howard, Laramie Tunzel's the best offensive player on the team. But as a whole, the position is so bad. And if Jawan James walks, the Dolphins pretty much have three, if not four spots to fill depending on where Jesse Davis winds up on this roster or on this position rather. So it's a big need and not a strength of this football team. Number eight, defensive end. I talked about it in the previous segment. Tank Carradine, Charles Harris might be your best defensive ends on the roster, depending on what they do with Cameron Wake and Will Hayes. It just doesn't look that great right now. We'll see what happens in the coming weeks. Tight end, number nine. And I don't have it on the needs list because I think the Dolphins will find roles for Gasecki and Durham Smythe. But with what they did in their rookie years, nothing. This has to be low on the list. Number nine, only ahead of the quarterback, which we talked about already. Once they cut Ryan Tannehill, it's Jake Rudock and Luke Falk. And that's it. And that could be really the extent of what they have going into camp unless they find a way to get Kyler Murray or Dwayne Haskins or draft a quarterback on the middle of day two or day three. So that's where the Dolphins are as far as strengths to weaknesses on the current roster. And let's finish this thing up by talking about the prospect of the day. I have just retweeted one from our buddy Evan Lazar. You guys recognize him from the Brian Flores podcast. And he's going over these prospects on his Twitter account right now, at Lazar, basically talking about fits for the Patriots scheme, which really works out well for us because it's the same idea in the Dolphins scheme. And he has a great video of Zach Allen lining up as a seven technique off the edge, off the... Uh, off the right tackles outside shoulder and working back inside with a power move to get to the quarterback and bat a pass down on a fourth down. You guys can check that out up on my Twitter timeline. It shows his speed, his power, his quick first step, but also how violently he engages with his hands. And we go back to a report by Kyle Krabs of the Draft Network talking about Zach Allen and his production and his best trait as the hand technique because we heard Patrick Graham talk about this a couple of Fridays ago in his first press conference as DC of the Miami Dolphins. Eye discipline and heavy hands are the things he wants in a defensive line. And what that means is the ability to two-gap. That's what Zach Allen can do. Krabs writes, Zach Allen is a powerhouse defensive end who does well to stack up blockers and hold his ground at the line of scrimmage. He's a threat of working around the edge. Track in the NFL is limited, but he should be able to collapse soft setting tackles and provide a B-gap presence as a pass rusher. Allen projects best as a base 4-3 defensive end or a B-gap defender in an odd front. He possesses the length needed for some two-gap reps as well. So a very well-rounded player, a versatile player, a guy that I think the Dolphins should be very heavy on targeting in that round two, round three range, possibly trade back, pick up more picks, and get yourself a guy like Zach Allen because I'm sure, like I do, many of you probably have many man crushes in the first and second round of this draft class, but he would be a great fit. 
All right, that's going to be a great spot to end the podcast today. If you guys are in your car and have Bluetooth capability, just tell your car to play the Locked On Dolphins podcast and pull this thing up right away. Also, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on our Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your Wednesday. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for a combine preview edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Canada.